So we have this young woman and she's in an airport and she discovers that her flight has been delayed and she's hungry. So she goes to the little snack bar and she buys herself a box of cookies and she returns to her seat. A couple seats over is a older gentleman and she gets a book out and opens her box of cookies and sets it down and finds her way to the chapter that she left off at and she starts to reach over and eat a cookie. But then a weird thing began to take place as she would reach over and take a cookie and eat it. She noticed that the old man beside her would also reach over into her box of cookies and he would take one and enjoy it. And at first she didn't say anything and then it kind of kept going, she'd take one, he'd take one, she'd take one, he'd take one. It started getting kind of irritating. She started feeling herself getting kind of angry at how rude he was. And eventually there was one cookie left and both the hands went into the box at the same time. And they kind of wrestled with it a little bit, snapped it in half. She ate one half, he ate the other. And she just couldn't believe the nerve of this guy. So finally she just got up and she turned around and she was about to yell at the guy and then she realized her full box of cookies was still sitting on the (laughs) other side of her chair. And the whole time this gracious man was actually putting up with her rather than her putting up with him. This is a lot like how life works. God is the, the cookie maker. He's the one that gives us pleasure, opportunities, provision, life itself. We're not the creator, we're the created. And we are merely stewards of all these wonderful boxes of cookies that God has given to us to enjoy. But sometimes we start to think they're ours. We get confused. We start to think that the cookies of life, if I could use this expression, belong to us. And how dare anyone else interfere with our possessions? We get a little selfish and we forget what the source of our blessings, our cookies, ultimately are. Well, the Ten Commandments, we're in commandment number four today. We're going to be talking about the Sabbath rest commandment. And the Sabbath rest commandment is, in large part, an opportunity for us to hit the pause button and to take some time to remember all the blessings, all the boxes of cookies that God has given to us, to remind ourselves that we are not creator, we are created. We are not the ultimate providers, we are provided for. We are not the ones who rule the world, we are stewards of God's creation. And too often, in our attempts to play little gods, little kings, little queens of our own worlds, we just go, 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 go. We never take time to pause and just sit back and consider that God is the ultimate provider and God is the one who has ultimately blessed us with everything that we have. Now there's two places in the Old Testament where the 10 commandments are listed. One is in Exodus and one is in Deuteronomy. And we've been, for the most part, studying the 10 commandments as they're spelled out for us in Exodus. So let me take you to Exodus 20. And I want to read for you this fourth commandment found in verses 8 through 11. Here God says to his people, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the holy doesn't necessarily mean that it's more sacred, 
but it's set apart. It's different and distinct from the rest of the days of the week. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, and listen to this list, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Why? Well, we have this pointing back to creation. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now I thought it would also be helpful for you to listen to the ten command or to the fourth commandment as it is recorded in Deuteronomy as well, because while the commandment is the same, there's an additional purpose added to it in the book of Deuteronomy. So if you want to go over to Deuteronomy chapter 5, I'll read it for you from verses 12 through 15. And listen, listen to the different rationale or reason for this commandment. So the word of God says here, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So that's very much the same as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So up till now, it's more or less the same. But then we have this additional purpose added in Deuteronomy, where the writer says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of it from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, in Exodus... The focal point of Sabbath keeping is creation rest. In Deuteronomy, the focal point of Sabbath keeping is to remember your redemption. So we are blessed by resting because it reminds us of the fact that we are created, that we are provided for, but we are also blessed by resting and just taking some time to remember the redemption that God has given to his people. So I've entitled the sermon Spiritual R&R. Rest and redemption is what we're talking about. Not just rest and relaxation, but rest and redemption are the two things that should come to mind when we take time out of our busy schedules and our work and we just hit the pause button. Now let's talk a little bit about what the word Sabbath means and then we'll come back and unpack these passages a little bit more. So the definition of Sabbath, to keep Sabbath is essentially to rest or cease working. To rest or cease working. Many people think that the Sabbath is equal to or the same as what we call Saturday. Same thing. This is not true. The word Saturday comes from the Roman god of architecture, Saturn. You know, there's a lot of people, I don't celebrate Christmas because it has pagan roots. We don't celebrate Easter because it has pagan roots. 
Yeah, what day is it? Oh, it's Monday. Oh, that's a pagan god. Why, why would you call it Monday? Wednesday, Woden's Day. Oh, the old pagan words are woven all into our vocabulary, our calendars. Who cares? Let's redeem them for God's honor and for God's glory and not focus so much upon the etymology of these words or their origins. The word Saturday, though, has a, has a pagan origin to it. And while Saturday now represents the seventh day of our week, and of course it does that in the, in the creational account where God created the world on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and rested on what we now call the Saturday. The word sat- Saturday doesn't help us to understand much about the meaning of the word. The meaning of the word is to rest and while God commanded that that rest would be observed on the seventh day, what we really want to focus on is on the meaning and the purpose of the word, not just what day is it? Oh, it has to be this day. It's not so much about the day, but the, the purpose and the meaning for that. And by the way, I'm going to back this up further when I read you some passages from the New Covenant, that the New Covenant writers, the New Testament writers, didn't seem to be particularly interested in fighting over what day of the week it was going to be, but they were very interested in retaining the purposes of rest and redemptive reflection in the lives even of the New Testament church. Now, the the Sabbath, the principle of Sabbath, we could say in Scripture, has sort of three dimensions to it. So there's a, there's a moral dimension to Sabbath keeping. There is a, a ceremonial or memorial dimension to Sabbath keeping. And then there's a, a third dimension, a, a very practical dimension to Sabbath keeping. I just want to kind of talk about these three points again before we go back into the text because what I'm trying to do is not just preach the text, but kind of give you a broader biblical theological understanding of the principle of Sabbath keeping and how it works in the life of the Christian church. So first of all, the moral dimension. The moral dimension, the word moral means ethical. It means it's about right and wrong. And there's a moral dimension to Sabbath keeping in that on the Sabbath, God requires of you as a created being your time focused on him to worship him and to honor him. So when we take time off of work and we remember the Sabbath, what we're actually doing is we're, we're focusing our energy and our attention in an extra special way on the God who created us. Now, we all understand we should be doing that every day. We should all be daily reading the word and daily praying and living a worshipful life. But the reality is if you're on the line at Chrysler and you're putting widgets on gidgets, you know, you're, you're going to be thinking less about God and creation and making sure you do your job. I mean, you only have one mind and you got to focus on what you're doing. Or if you're in customer service and you're in engaged in conversation with people and they're asking you questions about a product you're trying to sell them, you're probably not going to literally at the same time be studying the gospel of John. So we have things to do. We're finite beings. We can't literally multitask and do everything we want. So yes, our, our whole lives are worshipful, 
but God requires us to take time aside in an extra special, extra focused way to honor him and to worship him. So we need to do that and be deliberate about that in our lives as Christians. And then there's the ceremonial dimension. It's really important that we schedule into our routines six days for work and one day for rest. That's the, that's the creation ideal. It's mentioned later in the Torah as we've read this morning. It's commended again in the New Testament. The New Testament believers set aside a day for worship, for focus. There's a regulative principle here, a ceremonial principle here, a, a scheduling principle here whereby the people of God are called to schedule and organize their lives in such a way that there, there must be time for God. And this is so important, especially in Western culture where we're extremely busy and there's so many things to do. We have to schedule out, regulate our lives so that there's time set aside for God. In this respect, we should be legalistic. A lot of times the word legalism is negative. Here it's positive. We should be legalistic. We should be regimented and to regulate our lives so that it's patterned after the principles of Scripture. And as I will mention again and again, we have two different instances in the Old Testament, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, where we are reminded of the need to set aside a day of rest or a day of redemptive reflection and to keep it holy. Now, to whom does this apply? Anybody here have like a Superman complex? You know, you're like, well, you know, that's great for others, but I'm a, I'm a necessary worker. I'm an essential worker. I'm always on call. The world needs me. The world revolves around me. My, you know, I have, I have a lot of kids or my employer has high expectations of me. So yeah, you know, most people can take a day off, but I don't need that. No, you need it. Both of these passages provide us with a pretty comprehensive list of who this applies to. It applies to you. It applies to your son. It applies to your daughter. It applies to the men that may work for you, the women that may work for you. It applies to your mule. <laughs> it applies to those that may visit you. It's a comprehensive list. And, and this context ranked, ranked in order of relational importance from most important to least important. Everybody is under this commandment. Everyone is under this principle. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that makes me sometimes feel a little awkward preaching this commandment is it's probably the one I struggle with the most. <laughs> Especially in my younger years, I'm a recovering workaholic because I like to work. I like to work seven days a week. And we live in a culture that fans that flame. There's a commercial, Dr. Such and Such, on the news. And it's like, hey, and by the way, he works seven days a week. He's always available for you. I'm thinking, well, that's not good. You shouldn't be bragging about that. But we live in a culture where we like to work. We like to produce. We like to fill in the blanks. I know maybe some of you like to go to work and sit home and watch television. That's not me. I like to work. I like to produce. I like to get things done. As I get older, I'm realizing that's not as easy and it's, it's really not wise. So we're, we're learning these lessons. We're learning the lessons that there's no such thing as Superman or Superwoman in this room today, that each of us needs to set aside time in our lives for 
creation rests. So by being very specific and listing every category of person you could possibly think about, you know what God is communicating to us? There are no exceptions to this rule. There are no exceptions to this rule. You can't excuse yourself from it. It's a regulative ceremonial principle that must be part of your life. You must, as a created being, set aside a day in your week to worship and focus on God and to rest. And then there's a practical dimension here. While hard work is part of the curse, remember that in Genesis 3, you're going to work hard by the sweat of your brow. Six days a week, by the way, not five. People love their two-day weekends. Well, that's fine. If you get to work for yourself on Saturday or whatnot, that's fine. But six days of work is the creational pattern. Not like in Europe where some people are bragging, oh, we have a three-day weekend now and a four. This just makes lazy people, okay? We should want to work and be committed to working, whether it's for someone else or for ourselves, six days a week. So it's part of the curse, but at the same time, it's a, it's a blessing. At the same time, our compassionate God knows that we need time for rest and remembrance. And you know what happens? Even physicians will tell you this. If you work yourself to the bone, you will die young. You will not be as healthy as people who follow this creational pattern, this creational principle. You're more likely to have a heart attack. You're more likely to have various diseases invade your body because you're not created to work seven days a week, even if you're super fit. You're not created to work seven days a week. And if you do, you might die a little young. I came across this list some years ago. It's kind of a little satire, I guess, a little humor, but it's basically a list of nine rules for members of the coronary and ulcer club. You want to hear them? So nine rules. If you want to have a coronary or develop ulcers, here are some things that you should include in your life. Number one, make sure that you know that your job comes first. Forget everything else. Number two, Saturdays, Sundays, and holidays are fine times to be working at the office. There will be no one else there to bother you. Number three, always have your briefcase, your laptop with you when you're not at the desk. This provides an opportunity to review completely all the troubles and worries of the day. You have that problem, you just can't shut off. You're always kind of going back to it. Number four, never say no to a request. Always say yes, especially in ministry, right? Because God wants you to work yourself to the bone. He wants you to say yes to every appointment, every need, to disciple absolutely everybody you've ever met, right? This is the God complex. Number, number five, accept all invitations to banquets, meetings, and committees. Number six, all forms of recreation or exercise are a waste of time. Number seven, ne never delegate responsibility to others. Carry the entire load yourself because after all, you do it best. Number eight, if your work calls for traveling, working day and night, traveling day and night, constantly having your phone on, make sure that you're constantly and always available for your employer. Number nine, no matter how many jobs you're already doing, remember you can always take on one more. Now, I think we could add to that a tenth because this is a problem for many of us. Check your phone 
every 15 minutes, 18 hours a day. You notice that? People text you. Someone texted me a while ago, and I, I, didn't, I didn't look at the text for like a half an hour, and they text me again. Aaron, are you there? <laughs> what, are you going to sit in front of my phone waiting for the next text to come in? Right? But this is the world that we live in, and it's not good for our hearts. It's not good for our stomachs. It's not good for our bodies. It just wears us down. This isn't Old Testament. This is, this is what we need to be doing. We need to obey this stuff because it's healthy for us. You know, about 121 years ago, the Canadian Parliament actually put a law in place called the Lord's Day Act. And the Lord's Day Act was, it was basically illegal to work on Sunday. You had to have a day a week to celebrate and to remember what God had done. It was for everybody. It was part of our, our national law. Well, this was challenged in the 1980s. This bill was, or this act was defeated in 1985. And in 1992, some of you will remember the debate back in the day when Sunday shopping suddenly became available. When I was really little, we couldn't even go out to eat at a restaurant on Sundays because that would require someone else work for us. We had some friends that wouldn't even fill up their car on gas because they're like, I don't want to fill up my car on gas because that would require someone to work at the gas station. And it might sound kind of old school, but now it's just the opposite. Everything's open. It's like 24-7, it seems. Anytime you want to go out, you can go out and get whatever you want. Now, why, when this debate was taking place in the 80s and 90s, and I was younger, of course, at the time, but I do remember that even a lot of Christians would say, well, yeah, we're kind of in favor of this law being tossed aside because... Why should we impose Christian principles on non-Christians? Why should we impose Christian principles on non-Christians? After all, we're saved by grace through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saved by good works. We're not saved by regulative principles from scripture. So maybe we should get rid of this because it might actually blur people's understanding of what true salvation is. It might try to it might be seen as sort of trying to create some sort of a Christendom and that didn't work out very well in the past, so we shouldn't do that. This was the basic argument. So a lot of Christians were like, fine, fine, let's just, let's get rid of a Lord's Day Act. Let's allow for Sunday shopping, etc." Now it's true that our goal as Christians is not to create some form of Christendom in Canada void of personal relationships with Jesus. But if we believe that God is good, and that he actually has the best interest of human beings in mind, why, why wouldn't we want to encourage people, even those that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, to live in such a way that will bless them, that will extend their lives, that will reduce sickness and disease, and maybe even give them a little time to think about their createdness and to think about the world around them and to enjoy creation. This is a principle, in fact, for all people. And yet too often we, we cast it aside. You know, we, we, we toss it out with this notion, well, that's just Old Testament. That's obsolete. This is a newfangled world. And this stuff really doesn't matter. Well, look around us. What are we seeing in our world? Okay. What are we seeing in our world? A massive rise, but going on for a while, 
massive rise in anxiety, in depression. People are more educated and more wealthy and more provided for than at any point probably in human history. And you look at all the people around us that are falling apart. You know, my, my dad, who's 73 now, made a comment to me several years ago. He said, you know, what's interesting is, he's speaking about his house. He says, my house is way bigger than my dad's house, my grandfather, even though, you know, we're more or less middle-class guys, but my dad lived in this size of a house. I live in this size, size of a house, but it took me, you know, 20, 30 years to get there. And then he says, I look at my six kids and they all have bigger houses than I had at their ages. It's like everything just kind of goes up, 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 up. When we were kids, everybody had like one car. Now it's not uncommon to see two, three, four cars in a driveway. I remember the first time we got our little black and white television. It's like, wow, look at this thing. Now we have televisions in every room. Like our standard of living has gone up, 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 up. We live longer, we have more, et cetera. But at the same time, everyone seems to be mentally ill, sick, depressed, anxious, and on and on and on and on and on. And while some of it might be physiological, someone got into an accident, hit their head, they have anxiety or depression because they've had brain damage. I have a younger brother that has brain damage. I know a little bit about that. Follow the trail of breadcrumbs. Why is it that people seem increasingly to be coming unwound in our society? Could it be because we're not following the patterns and principles that God has laid out for us in creation? Sabbath rest commemorates creation and it celebrates freedom from captivity. This is woven into New Testament theology even into passages like Hebrews chapter four. So let me take you to Hebrews chapter four. So now we're going from the old covenant scriptures to the new covenant scriptures. And keep in mind that whereas the Jews celebrated Sabbath with a capital S on the seventh day to commemorate God's rest in creation, here's how the New Testament author uses this concept of Sabbath to build a case for us to be thinking about our own redemption. So this is in Hebrews chapter four. And the passage says, beginning with verse six, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, you shall not enter my rest. So there's a little this can be a little bit convoluted, especially if you're new to the study of scripture, but there's this theme of rest woven into the Bible and there's patterns that repeat themselves. So creation rest becomes a pattern for rest in the land of Canaan, the promised land after decades or generations of slavery. And then the rest that the people of God would experience in um, the land of Canaan will become a pattern of future rest, which we look forward to as Christians. So just helping you to understand the background. So it says again in this passage, he said, you shall not enter my rest, meaning promised land due to the rebellion in Sinai. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. 
Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day to come. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, if you are familiar with the book of Hebrews, you probably got that on first read, but most people don't spend a lot of time in the book of Hebrews. And one thing that's interesting about the book of Hebrews is the, 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 the patterns of argumentation, what we call the rhetoric, the rhetorical structures, that the writer of Hebrews uses to build his arguments are very foreign to Western ears. So oftentimes when you're reading Hebrews, you're like, okay, I gotta read that again, I gotta read it again. Okay, that's, that's a little convoluted. I don't quite understand how he's using that quote or that illusion or that principle to build his argument. So it can be a little convoluted, but just follow me here as I try to help us to understand this a little bit further. So what the writer is doing is he's trying to link together, think of a chain, He's trying to link together these themes of rest, rest in scripture to point us toward a spiritual truth. And again, while it's different than Western logic, his logic is fascinating. So here are sort of the, the way he links these biblical concepts of rest together. So first he reminds us that Sabbath commemorates God's rest after creating the universe in one week. So we understand that. So that's his first statement. He's pointing us back to Genesis 1 and 2 in creation. But then this is supposed to bring to mind in his logic the rest that the Jews would have by getting to a country of their own after wandering around in the desert after having been released from slavery in Egypt. So there's, there's link number two. Link number three this is supposed to bring to mind the failure of one of those generations to get this rest due to their rebellion in the land of, uh, or in the desert of Sinai. So if you remember, as the Jews were wandering around for 40 years, they rebelled against God and God said, okay, well, all of you over the age of 20 are gonna die in the desert and only the younger folks are actually gonna see the promised land with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. So this is his third link. The fourth link in his logic is that this is supposed to remind the Christian to live in light of the rest that God has in store for us in heaven. So we're supposed to be thinking of our promised land, our heaven, our ultimate goal, our ultimate destiny. And so then the fifth principle is for us to, the fifth link in the chain then is for us in, in the here and now to truly celebrate God's creation rest in order to reassure ourselves of new creation rest. See the logic there? So when we take time to just hit the pause button, I'm not thinking about work, I'm not thinking about cutting the grass, I'm not thinking about washing the car, I'm not thinking about taking the kids to their music lesson, I'm gonna focus on God's creation rest and how that was lost and then regained through faith in the land of Egypt and the Sinai desert and the entry into the promised land. I, I think about that and then I am reminded and reassured of my ultimate destiny, my ultimate home, my ultimate place of rest, which is in God's eternal kingdom. So 
When we rest, we rest deliberately. We rest in order to remind ourselves that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. That in this life, we are looking forward to an ultimate and eternal home, a recreation of sorts. So creation rest becomes a historical event foreshadowing future rest that God has created. So it's like a, a series of links, or if you prefer another analogy, if you've ever walked into, maybe you've been to Niagara Falls and you walk into one of those houses of mirrors and you, you stand in front of one mirror and it's wavy and you kind of got this weird image of yourself and you stand in front of another mirror and it's kind of angled back and you get another weird image of yourself and maybe you stand in front of another mirror and it kind of, there's a series of mirrors and you see like multiple images of yourself but there's only one true you. There's all these images. Some are closer to the true you. Some are more distorted images of the true you, but there's only one true you. And the true you, if you want to use that um, language of rest is in heaven. That's the truest form of rest. That's the fullest form of rest. That's the, the, most real form of rest that we will ever experience. But in this life, we sort of have these patterns or images of it. They're not, they're kind of like the distorted mirror. They're not, taking a day off a week is not like heaven on earth, but it kind of gives you a, a bit of a, a, a taste, a bit of a, a sense of the ultimate rest that we're all looking forward to. And we will be in the presence of the Lord forevermore, worshiping him and enjoying the fullness of the creation and relationship that he has designed for us. So let's talk a little bit about Saturday versus Sunday. We broached this subject earlier, but let's talk a little bit about this. Why, why do Christians tend to worship on Sundays instead of Saturday, the seventh day of the week, as was the creational pattern and the pattern under the uh, old covenant. Well, to the Christian, as we think about rest, we also think about redemption. Rest leads to thinking about redemption. And when we think about redemption, we think to ourselves, well, what is the, the zenith, the climax of God's redemptive work here on earth in our lifetimes? What is it? It's the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. On a Friday, Jesus was put to death. And on a Sunday, he was resurrected from the grave. And this is why we put so much emphasis on resurrection theology, because it is the ultimate demonstration of and guarantee of our redemption from sin and suffering. So in the early church, we have a shift from Saturday to Sunday in order to not only celebrate creation rest, which is more aptly celebrated on a, what we would call a Saturday, but to remind people of the ultimate purpose of rest, which is redemption, which Jesus accomplished on a Sunday, on the first day of the week. So in Hebrews 4, back to that passage, verse 11, it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So let's, let's, let's focus on it. Let's think about it. Let's be proactive in our faith. 
how do I do that? Well, here's how the early Christians did it. They met on Sunday because that was the zenith, the climax of God's redemptive work among them. So early Christians recognized that the day was less important than the purpose. Let me give you an example of this found in Romans chapter 14. So this is where they downplay this specific day and they upplay the purpose. In Romans 14 verses five to six, Paul instructs, one person esteems one day as better than than another, while another esteems all days alike. And then he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So the day itself is not as important as observing it in honor of the Lord. So for example, if you, in your job, maybe you're a physician, an emergency room physician or whatever, you have to work every Saturday and every Sunday. There's no exceptions to that. Well, God's not gonna judge you if your Sabbath is a Monday. God's not gonna judge you if your Sabbath is a Wednesday. You have to have one, but God's not gonna judge you if yours is different than the next person. In Colossians chapter two, verses 16 and 17, the writer says, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. It's like the the crooked mirror, the wonky mirror. They give you an idea, but they're not the ultimate rest that we're looking for. But substance belongs to Christ, the writer said. So in the same way, Christians historically began to meet together for communion, the breaking of bread, and the teaching of God's word, and for prayer on the first day of the week because that was Resurrection Sunday. And by the way, they had to take a day off their regular jobs to do it because everyone else was working on Sundays because that was the first day of the week for them. Where do we find that? Acts 20, verse 7, recalls on the first day of the week, when we were all gathered together to break bread, Paul talked to them intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech until midnight. The Christian church historically met on a Sunday. Again, does that mean we can't have services on a Saturday? No. Does that mean your Sabbath can't be a Thursday? No, it doesn't mean that. But this was the day where they, they set things aside to just sort of focus in an extra special way on God's rest and God's redemption. So I want to ask you a question. Have you been keeping the Sabbath? Do you set aside a day in your week to focus on God's creative works and to rest and to remember the redemption that is yours in Christ? Folks, there's always more stuff to do. I get it. There's always the honey-do list. There's always the, the emails that need to be checked. There's always yet another thing to be accomplished. I get it. And so often the demands of life cause us to actually violate God's express commandments to us by cluttering up seven days of our lives with work and leaving no time to reflect upon God's redemptive purposes in our lives. David Ogilvie reminded in his book, Confessions of an Advertising Man, he said this quote, if you prefer to spend all of your spare time growing roses or playing with your children, I like you better, 
but do not complain that you are not being promoted fast enough. In other words, in life, there's a give and take. A lot of people, the the ultimate goal is, is more money, a promotion at work. That's not worth your family. It's not worth your health. It's not worth a failure to worship God. It's not worth forgetting about God's work in your life. We need to take, especially as Western people, to take charge of our schedules once again and make sure that we are living our lives according to God's purposes. I can tell you this, even as a Christian pastor, I remember early in ministry, because I had this sense that I'm responsible for everybody, never saying no. Like if there was like an opportunity, I had to meet it. There's another person to be, to have the gospel shared with. There's another person to be disciple, another person to be counseled. And one of my mentors said to me, and I've shared this before, so many of you know this. He said, Aaron, just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean you're the guy called to meet it. That was freeing. I learned that early on. Just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean you're the one called to meet it. We don't want you at church all the time. We don't want you involved in 25 different ministries. We don't want you wearing yourself out for the cause of Christ in this respect. We should serve the Lord. Each of us should do our part in the life of the church and in the community sharing our faith. But we also need to take time to rest and to reflect upon what God has done and will do in the future in our lives. In fact, when we do this, we often find ourselves more productive. I find that if I just go, 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 day in, day out, I'm not as productive and I don't actually even enjoy it anymore. But if I take time just to relax and to reflect and to think about it, then when I'm in the game, I'm much more productive. So the story is told of a wood chopping competition. Two guys show up. It's a whole day long event. This guy's got a pile of logs. This guy's got a pile of logs. And they have a wood chopping competition. Who can chop the most wood in one day? So we have the fellow over here on my right, and he's He wants to win, so he just starts swinging his axe, and he's chopping furiously all day long. Takes a little brief break for lunch, but he's just swinging his axe all day long, and the pile of wood starts to build up. The guy over here, he wants to win too, so he starts swinging his axe, swinging his axe. But every half an hour or so, he takes some time just to sharpen his axe, to have a coffee, to relax, then he gets back at it. And the day goes by. He takes a leisurely lunch. This guy's gulping down his food. And at the end of the day, surprise, surprise, the guy that took more time off, took more time to sharpen his axe, took more breaks as a bigger pile of chopped firewood than the guy that worked himself to the bone. We need to take more time to sharpen our axes. And we sharpen our axes by resting and by reflecting upon what God has done. And in that, those times of rest and reflection, we are revived and we are rejuvenated. And that we can enter back into family life and back into ministry and back into work. And we not only enjoy it more, we're healthier, we're, we're more free, we're more focused, and we have reminded ourselves that we are created, not creator. So brothers and sisters, let's take stock of our lives. Let's take time to sharpen our axes. Let's live the way that God has created us. 
let's believe that God's patterns for how we should live our lives are better than the patterns we establish for ourselves. And let's let God be God in the process. <laughs>